and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanali. Will you join me? Uh, I, I only know Puff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> that's, that's, you know the name of the song. By the sea. That's as far as I go. <laughs> I didn't even know that part. That song meant so much to me the year it came out. I must have been Were you smoking really a lot of little. weed? Or, no, I was like three was years the, old. If, is the Magic Dragon, is that weed or is that something else? Oh, uh, you know, uh, I don't know that they intended it. They became a, something. Yeah. What did it become? Was it weed? The fact, uh, it must have been, because they said little Jackie Paper who loved that rascal Puff. It was the word paper that really threw people oh, into and it. Puff. And, uh, yeah, Puff the Magic Dragon, yeah. yeah it, 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 but everything has, and if, magic. if you filter the world through uh, drug references or sexual innuendo, oh, yeah. you just find it everything. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, even when it's not intended. John Lennon insisted that Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds was not about LSD. And uh, I, the interviewer started to challenge it. He said, look, I wrote the song. Got my little notebook. Yeah. You. Why do you have your notebook? To pretend that I take notes and that I'm smart. Oh, you know, people who take notes are typically smart. Yeah. Usually I, I just go open my phone. Yeah, that though, makes you look. But I have to equalize. Yeah. You know, people think I'm not paying attention if I'm right, like taking notes on a phone. Yeah, right? Isn't that the stereotype? Yeah. Like, oh, he's texting or looking on social media. It's like, well, no, I'm just, I'm just taking notes. I don't get it though. You admit the pretense of the book just to look smart, and now you've you've undercut the whole <laughs> illusion. <laughs> no, I actually take notes. Oh, okay. See? And what was this on? <laughs> I shouldn't we ask haven't questions. Started Just yet. Don't well, no, ask no, no, no. Previous episodes. Okay. Right? Previous episodes. No, yeah. And we're, 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 no, what's this episode? Look at it, almost a full oh, page. Look at that. Yeah, that's some yeah, serious. Look at, look at this one. Did you uh, take those while we were doing the podcast? No, this is pre. Oh, this is pre. Sometimes, okay. if you're talking for a really long time, and I'm like, when the hell is this guy going to end with yeah. this conversation? And I'm like, I'm going to forget what I'm about to say. I'll write it down. Well, that's a whole new take on it. Now I know when students are taking notes that they aren't yeah. smart. They're just angry at me for going on and on all the secrets have been revealed all the secrets still what we do here it's it's genuine I, honest talk i'm willing to go on with my life anyway <laughs> so shall we yeah what do you what do you got for us well let's see we had a question from i hope i'm pronouncing your name correctly ty ty at, says i'd appreciate a video on the principles of critical thinking while drawing what are the things I should allow my brain to do while thinking through a drawing? I want to learn how to be an efficient and fluid thinker. What mental, physical traits could you guys expand on to help a beginner allow their brain, hand, arm to learn how to draw easier? Hmm. Do you have any thoughts to this? It's a pretty yes. big question. I can start by recommending two books that I talk about all the time. Yeah. The first one is Mastery by Robert Greene. Mm -hmm. Second one is Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. Mm -hmm. Both of them are about learning and mastering stuff. Mm -hmm. um, hold on, this is more important. Oh, Some it's reminding Cooper? me to record a podcast. Oh, that's right, we're supposed to record a, yeah. oh boy, yeah. The calendar reminder. You recommend those books because they're books that have had a big influence on you. And they, they have. Um, they're good medicine for what he wants. Yeah, the thing that I was gonna say about from Mastery by Robert Greene was the slow and fast 
repetition of movements. So if you're practicing doing like drawing a straight line or a circle or whatever, um, don't just practice it at the normal speed that you're gonna do it. Practice it really slowly a bunch of times and also practice it faster than normal. And so you really get that motion down in all speeds and sometimes slowing down helps you really figure out the whole motion like elbow, wrist, how do I, oh, how am I supposed to hold this actually, you know? What's my posture supposed to be like? When you slow it down, you can think of every step of the way. And then doing it faster just helps to simplify the motion. Well, not just simplify the motion, but everything. Like if you're trying to do quick sketch and draw a body really fast in 30 seconds, you have to remove things that aren't important, all right? Yeah. And so you have to understand what's not important. So being able to slow things down, speed things up, I think is huge. And being comfortable in controlling your arm. In Nicolaides, book he says at the beginning that you have to learn to draw slowly and painstakingly and fast and furiously and i believe that that you've got two different criteria here the slow and the fast and separating the two into their own specific discipline makes it so that you cover for yourself it's like actors who, when they speed read their lines, do you know about that? I think I've heard people doing it. I don't understand why other than, is it exactly what I just said? Before they do the performance, they, they strip it away of emotion, they strip it away of affliction, and they don't even speed read, they speed recite them. So the one person, the other person, the other person, catch it right on that way. You've done it so fast that it's easy to slow down. Right, yeah. And, uh, and then the slowly and painstakingly has to be done for some disciplines, orthographic projection, for example, things where you've got to account for every dot. Yeah. So, yes, I believe that. But I think that one of the problems with Ty's question. Can you read the question yeah. one more time? I will read the question one more time. I don't say that it's a problem with the question. It's a sincere question, Ty. It's that you revealed something, though, in your wording that I think can cause you trouble. I'd appreciate a video on the principles of critical thinking while drawing. What are the things I should allow my brain to do while thinking through a drawing? Let me see if I can address this in two minutes. One of the most important things you do in any creative pursuit is separate what the experts call divergent thinking and convergent thinking. Divergent thinking is how many different ideas can I come up with? How many mistakes can I make? How many ways can I try it? It's blue sky thinking. It's kid thinking. It's not trying to be too careful with it. That's divergent. How many uses for a paperclip can you come up with? That's what it is. It's to figure how can I stretch my brain into these different directions and that is usually, not necessarily, but usually free and improvisational. It's playful, it's exploring. And then convergent thinking is that we've done enough of playing around in kindergarten. Now we've got to be grown-ups and ship product, bring things together, consolidate, finish. And it is very important that you practice without thinking. That's what gesture drawing, as according to Nicolaides, is about. It's with feeling, not with thinking. Then it's also important that you practice where you think through these moves and understand whatever logic or criteria you have established. Including gesture, right? 
And uh, uh, well, t- tell tell us what you're thinking well, about gesture I, I being think, a thinking thing. Yeah, I understand how gesture could be a feeling thing mm-hmm. when it's just kind of energetic lines. But I think and, and, gesture. And, and, could let me be, let me add something in there. Yeah. Empathetic lines is what Nicolaides would get at. That these lines. Pathetic lines. Those are the kinds of lines you draw. This, okay, why don't we go back to the Millennials and Boomers episode? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm just throwing a little joke. <laughs> Empathetic That's lines. all I got going from here now, Marshall. Uh, well, you got that, and I, I should run with you. It'd make you feel better. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Go ahead. Energetic lines. Feeling lines. Yeah. So, yeah, but, but I think gesture isn't just about, like, feeling the energy. You can think through a pose and make it more dynamic think mm-hmm. about what the gesture is you yeah. can apply logic to gesture yeah it's not just like woo. i'm not thinking i'm just moving my arm mm-hmm. i think some people teach gesture that way and i, I don't like it because it's it's too one way yeah well one thing that researchers know uh i i mean artists have known it for m- millennia but uh people who've taken the time to study this is that there are different kinds of thinking. Uh, Edward de Bono's book, uh, he has these different thinking hats that you put on. Uh, there's hierarchical thinking, logical thinking, lateral thinking. Lateral, lateral thinking is how one thing is like another, is like another, is like another. Uh, that's very useful for creative people. And the first thing I would say is you have to have a stage in your drawing where you are not being critical. And the order of this divergent-convergent, the order of this play and then get critical, uh, brainstorm and then revise, the order generally should be that the brainstorming comes first and the refining comes later. If you get those reversed, which many people do, I did for years, and I know many people, uh, many students, they start out too carefully, they start out too tight and they choke off the things that would happen if they would be willing to get crazy and free in the early stages knowing you can clean up a mess later Mm -hmm. i agree with that okay um but there's also the other book i was mentioning uh art of learning by josh whitskin um the two things that i would take from that are um something as complex as drawing uh, has so many different skills involved in it that when you're a beginner you cannot be thinking about all these things you're juggling all so many balls at the same time they're gonna fall so the only way to really get good at drawing is to make all of those things intuitive get good at them until you're not thinking about them anymore that's that's the that's like what Robert Beverly Hale said at the beginning of drawing lessons from the great masters from yeah. drawing like many disciplines let the un, uh, subconscious mind should take it over so we've satisfied wow. this question. All uh, right. Now you're happy. Dang. Now I know huh. what to think. Don't think. Are we done? And then later, <laughs> think. You were going to bring up another controversial uh, yeah, thing. Up, okay, we're going to finally deal with this. You've gotten a taste. A taste of what? <laughs> I don't know. The bad boy. Oh. <laughs> taste okay. of mischief. Here is a question. Like causing drama. Here is a question. Oh, no. Oh, crap. This was after I, you asked me if I had an opinion about a particular book. So <laughs> The particular, wait, are we not mentioning the book title? Yeah, we're going to mention it. Uh, okay. I'm going to read the question. Okay. 
So now I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about drawing on the right side of the brain, because for me, as someone who practices art as a part of a larger discipline, it was the book that made it possible for me to understand why I could never draw things properly. Lacking the initial steps of taking what I see and turning it into an image, seeing negative spaces, understanding the tricks of perspective, etc., and why I would, for example, draw certain things the same way, uh, the same way every time, like eyes using symbols rather than drawing what's there. The exercises in it helped me force my brain to see things the right way, and I wouldn't be able to do any of it well, uh, any well without it. Okay, so my opinion about right drawing on the right side of the brain. I, maybe I should wait. Oh, come on. Well, let me tell you why. <laughs> Damn it, Marshall. I know, it was a lot of setup. I'm not going to wait, but I'm saying why maybe I should. <laughs> because I haven't read the revised edition. Oh, God. I read the original edition. She's revised it four times. Okay, well, it needed revising. <laughs> oh, man, it's getting exciting. Why? I, I'm not going to trash it. I'm going to tell you my story. Oh, man. When... When I was 11 years old, my mother traded dinners to a college art professor who was going to give me art lessons because Marshall wanted to draw. And he set up still lifes and he sat me in front of him and he taught me to measure with vertical lines and horizontal lines and to look at the negative spaces and see them as negative spaces, not as nameable objects. And so I did this and by the time I got into college and took life drawing classes, you could sit me down and have me draw from a model and I could copy it so exactly that if you were to check it, you would never find me more than four or five percent off, maybe even two percent off, because I measured every single angle. Yeah. And four semesters of life drawing and I could not draw a picture of a person sitting in a chair, let alone dancing, unless I had them in front of me to copy. So, at the age of 18, I start asking around, how do animators do this? How do comic book artists do this? And I asked every teacher that I had, most of them didn't know, even though they had master's degrees in drawing and painting. A few did, but they had no interest in teaching it. So, I went to books. And in my 20s, I went to book after book after book. It was textbooks, drawing textbooks, if they said anything about turning things into form, they'd have you set up a still life of a block uh, and, and a ball and those kind of things and learn uh, how rendering happens on it. None of them that I came across, because this was years of looking through books, ever talked about how you use forms to invent. If I had been exposed to Andrew Loomis's fun with a pencil, my life would have been very different, but I wasn't. So I started to give up. In 1984, 485, I thought, I don't know where you get this information. It's, I'm asking everybody. And then somebody said, there's a book that's come out recently that solves this. It's, the, it's based on science. It's called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. How could I not know about it? It's become, I think, the biggest selling book in, in the last 50 years or so of, of art instruction. It has maybe almost a thousand uh, five-star ratings on Amazon now. It, everybody was talking about it. So I thought, okay. I'm geared up for this. And I read every word of that book. And it was about halfway through that my heart started to sink. It's not going to teach me how to draw out of my imagination. I'm going to learn nothing about inventing. And there were also some statements in the first edition of the book that I knew were wrong, where 
the author tra kind of trash perspective said if you can just learn to see in our mode you don't need to learn perspective at all and i thought uh i know that that is not the case because one thing that i am getting is that you need to apply perspective into anatomy if you're going to invent figures i was starting mm -hmm. to get that by then but even though that came uh that was taken out in later revisions yeah here is my biggest i've got two criticisms here's here's the the, the first one one is that even if you take out the statement that you don't need perspective you may not be excoriating the left brain but certainly discounting it as if the left brain is going to be clunky and get in the way which it does during that that initial stage of playing around with with nonverbal things uh, or any stage of playing around with nonverbal things uh, the other criticism is that the book offered me nothing for how to invent out of imagination and if the new version which as i'm told has another chapter in it called drawing from imagination if that balances out my criticism i am willing to submit i have nothing against the author in fact i really enjoyed the second book second book was drawing on the artist within and that was on territory that was to me very fit which is this business of exploring and playing and seeing things with a naive mind getting a fresh view on things uh, and it was not as drawing on the right side of the brain is trying to essentially lobotomize art training now i felt very uncomfortable saying all of this why because my peers and some of my students around me when they ask about it we have the conference I've never made uh, uh, done anything like this so that the, the whole world is at it and I know that people love this book and if it gives you confidence I am glad that it gives you confidence it's just that it came into my life when I really wanted help with how to draw like a comic book artist could out of imagination and I got nothing from it and it was okay. shortly thereafter that I discovered Robert Beverly Hale's book, and then that one was the one that led me yeah. in a direction where I'm going to actually get this stuff. Yeah. So I didn't read the old version that you read. But you've read the new version? Uh, not all the way through, but I, I, yeah, I've read a bunch of it. Mm -hmm. Enough to understand what you're talking about. Okay, balance me out. In the new version, she says that this book is specifically for beginners learning to draw from observation. Okay. So it's absolute beginners. People who have not drawn before, who don't understand how to think purely visually without, you know, using symbols to draw. So the whole thing about lobotomizing the left side is in order to just get past the overuse of the left side in the beginning when people start drawing is they don't use the right side at all. They're mm -hmm. only using the left. So she teaches you how to balance it out by temporarily just completely ignoring the left side flip okay. the image upside down use only the right side and i know the whole argument that it's left and right side is like proven false now people argue with that it's like okay whatever you, you think of it as a metaphor then it, exactly even if you you show that both sides are involved in both processes this kind of uh awareness that there are two modes has been around for thousands yeah. of years the modes are still i think uh valid think, yeah they're still valid don't take the yeah. title too literally i think what she teaches is actually very useful for people who are absolute beginners learning to draw from observation that's exactly what she says at the beginning and i think it's a really good method um 
it's very incomplete. I don't think it's complete art training, but almost no book I have is. Some of my favorite books are anatomy books. They're not complete drawing manual. Like I can't learn from how to draw from these anatomy books. So you have to specify what you're what you're doing here, what this book is going to help you do, and then deliver just on that. Okay. It's not her responsibility to teach you how to draw comic books. She wasn't trying to do that at all. She's she was more from the fine art world, I think, of everyone just draws life from reality, from nature, yeah. and from a model where it's actually a good thing to have a model come in and draw from the model. That's like applauded. Like, oh my God, you had a real model come in for that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that that's her world, I think. Yeah, and, and the comic book thing, I've had people jump on the comic book thing. Oh, that's all you care about is comic books. Yeah, you're just the lowbrow stuff, you know, the, the high stuff. No, it, the, the thing is that uh, the great masters of the past, the great painters and drawers of the past were trained in how to invent out of imagination, whether you call it comic books or not. I think that is a very important part of training, but I wouldn't start with that. I would start by training, learning from, from nature first. Mm-hmm understand what you're seeing and then see better in your head and then figure out how to put it down on paper what you're seeing. So what we're getting here is that Marshall really wanted a, a particular kind of tool and then he was given a very a different, different kind of tool which is the one that he's been given over and over and it's like who's going to give me the one that I need? And the one you wanted. Uh, the one that I needed. I had I was completely dependent on photography. It's the one I had. You I couldn't draw I anything unless I took a picture to of it and copied it. It was just amazing how, how oh, okay. bound I yeah. was to reference. You weren't an absolute beginner, and you weren't trying to learn how to draw from observation. You, you did not fit the mold. I was an the, absolute beginner when it came to inventing forms out of imagination. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that at at best, my criticism is that it's imbalanced. And it, it has become, it has had such stature and it has become so culturally known that I've had times when I've told people that, what do you do for a living? I, I teach people how to draw. Oh, do you know about drawing on the right side of the brain? That's, a, that's <laughs> the see. first thing I get. That's annoying. And, and so I say, yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's a wonderful book. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I think as long as people understand that this is like, uh, one small step of learning how to draw, of learning, or of learning how to be an artist, even um, that, then it's fine. Th- this book won't. I don't think it'll give them any bad habits. At least not the new, the new version. I don't think she says that perspective is a bad. No, thing. No, that got taken out. If she said that's still in the new version, I'd be like, yeah, Th- that is don't not read in the new that. version. Yeah, but I think it's because people really rallied around it. Yeah. I've been in college environments where conversations like this can go on for a long time, yeah. and with varied people, and then someone comes into the room, and then another impassioned uh, uh, discussion begins. But it's you know, somebody said that the bigger you get, the bigger a target you are. And because yeah. that book is so popular, it's put up on a pedestal and it's easy to, to throw things at it. Yeah. Well, I think that you should read at least the new chapter. I will. Drawing for Imagination. I actually didn't see that chapter in the, in the book I have. Maybe I have. Maybe it's a, not a chapter. Maybe it's just a portion. I was looking up okay. the uh, table of contents. One of the notes I took when I was reading through it is in the very beginning, the first exercise she has you do is draw from imagination. Mm-hmm. Before teaching you anything, she's like, just do this just so you can see how bad of an artist you are. 
But I think we're going to go back to, I think we're going to go back to, this is my suspicion, we're going to go back to the polarity between using symbols yeah. versus using what's in front of your face. It's, it's not just that. It's, it's not just using symbol, symbols versus what's in front of your face. It's symbols versus reality, it, I think is the proper way of, of learning from this book. You can look at a portrait and you can draw a thousand portraits by copying exactly what you see and you will become much better at drawing portraits from imagination okay. because you'll build that library. That's right. It imprints on you. Yeah. So what's wrong with drawing from ob learning from observation then? I don't think there's anything wrong oh. with it. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's just that if that's all you can do, why no. not take a photograph of it? It's faster. You can trace the photograph. You know, I'm coming at it very much from a practical point of view, which is I wanted to make a living as an artist. And I see all of these people uh, that of the past and a few that were around me who could sit down, they could draw, they could put a scenario out, they can put an environment out, they can put characters in it, move them around there. How on That's, earth are you doing that? I don't know. I, still, I don't like that argument still, though. If you can... If you have to do it from observation, why not take a photograph of it? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you can use reference to make illustrations, mm -hmm. to tell a story. Um, okay, then let me, let me just put it to what, what I was having trouble with. Uh -huh. If I had a photograph, I could copy it by eye exactly for my illustration or do it faster why? by projecting it onto there because, because I needed someone in that position. If I needed to lift my eye up or move around, I had no clue how anybody does that. And okay. to me, that is a fundamental skill of a drafts person. Yes, I agree. Okay. But. Go ahead. <laughs> um, like, you know that painting I did of the chopping lesson? The, the dad teaching his son how to mm -hmm. chop yeah. wood? Mm -hmm. That was done completely from reference. Yeah. I took all those photos and I, I took like eight photos and I put them all together mm -hmm. and I composed a narrative. And you did it but, when? Um, maybe like five years in. Yeah, but so you, you, um, you knew enough about how form turns. Yeah. How light falls on form. I guess we're, we're in agreement. We, there, there is both sides of it and it's, they're both important, I think. That is the whole thing. Okay, yeah. let's do we this. Agree. We, we, here's, I think we're, here's what everybody's gonna agree with is that there's no one single discipline that's enough. Any discipline that you're, you're going to, to master, there's going to be some counterpointing discipline to balance it out. And one of those is the ability to work fast and the ability to work slow. One of them is the ability to observe and the ability to invent. And construct. Yes, and they are interdependent on each other. We don't want to chop one of them out. Right. Uh, there's also many others. There's uh, getting things correct versus getting them appealing. There's yeah. work that I love to do and work that sells. So there's many other different balances and polarities. Yeah. But I think that the best way to understand anything, uh, when you're first trying to understand something, you get the whole spectrum and see what the extremes are and see how they relate at the opposite ends of the spectrum. And then you say, I'm already good at this. Maybe I need to work this. Maybe this is my strength that I'm gonna run with. This is the thing I'm gonna cover for, or I'm gonna team up with somebody else who's good at that. You don't have to be that greater runner if you can hit home runs every time. 
So when you've got this one strength, you can say, that's what I'm good at. And, and but I, it, again, it, awareness of that spectrum is important in training. Yeah. Cool. Now. Well, we agree. Nice. What's your All right. thing, Stan? What? Wait, that... you... wait, but we still have a voicemail. Uh, we do. Okay. I'll wait. You really no, don't I... want to be here with me? Yeah, I do. You're trying to end here. the episode? I don't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> I've been, I, you know, today was mean day for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, last week was also oh yeah that's right i've had a few weeks of, of mean days yeah with you, so. i was mean last week too though oh were you yeah i was pissed off at that comment oh that's right yeah you were yeah well well that's we're trying to balance it out this is going to be gentle and friendly day that's great why don't we have a question kumbaya we're we gonna hold hands and sing kumbaya sure that's from your generation right <laughs> yeah it is i do remember kumbaya <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Are we going to do some kumbaya right now? No, we're going to go to a voicemail. Let's go to the voicemail. Hi, my name is uh, Avery Hodge. I am uh, a 17-year-old going to study studio art in college. And uh, i got to say, uh, your podcast, I listen to them all the time while doing kind of mindless things like shape, kind of finishing up pieces. One thing I would like to ask you is how important is it for an artist to be able to give critiques to other artists? Is it um, something that is has been super important for your growth or not important at all? Or uh, have you noticed any patterns in students? Uh, I'd, I'd really like to know because um, giving critiques is something that I am kind of uncomfortable doing, but I've heard that it's very good to you as a habit in order to improve your own art skills. So I'd love to hear from you on this. See you later. It's about the value of critiques in getting better at your own work. Yeah. But before we move on, what did he say? uh, Mindless acts like what? Shading, I believe. Like shading? sounded like it cut out. Okay. Shading and finishing up pieces. Okay. Hmm. Not mindless. <laughs> you want to go I mean, first? It depends on how much he's shading. If he's shading like a whole piece of paper, like a like he's doing like a giant illustration and the whole background is dark. It's like okay, <laughs> shading is not mindless though. If he's talking about like form and stuff, right? A lot of shading is mindless and shouldn't be. <laughs> oh, <laughs> ah, we've talked about that before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of people approach it mindlessly, but it shouldn't. Yeah, I've done maybe more than a thousand hours of mindless shading. So uh, I understand. Marshall. Yeah, but it's at least it's meditative. There is one thing good about mindless shading is that it puts you oh, yeah. in a state of relaxation, and you just feel good having made all that mindless shading. Yeah. Okay. Well, then to the question, okay. I have an answer. Go ahead. <laughs> Okay, giving critiques, I think, is very important because if you don't know how to analyze someone else's work, you might not be able to analyze your own work. 
being able to deconstruct something and define all the issues with it and how it can be improved is really good for your own improvement. I mean, we talked about this several times already. Just teaching anything is, is one of the best ways to improve in that thing. One thing though is be careful, you were talking about critiquing as a habit. Don't critique people if they don't ask for it. You can critique it in your own head. Like look at it and be like, okay, what do I think is wrong with this? You know, break it down on your own. But if, if, you're, if you're a student in the class, don't just go around like critiquing everyone's work um, unless you approach it in the right way. I did a lot of critiquing when I was a student, but I don't think I was disrespectful. I think I did it when uh, people wanted it. Good. And, and then eventually people started asking for it. That's why you're still Which alive. is why I became a teacher there at Watts. Okay. I think. One of the reasons, yeah. But yeah, don't don't just like come around and, and start critiquing people. <laughs> but yeah. No, teaching and being able to think through a drawing, deconstruct is very, very good. Yeah, Isaac Perlman, if that's how you pronounce it, he's one of the greatest violinists of the last 50-some years. And years ago, he was asked, you, why do you, you know, you teach? He says, great violinist, but he's got students and he's helping with them. He said that when you remind students of these principles, you help them with their work, it reminds you to put it back on yourself and pay attention to that in your own work. So there is that, that giving out some feedback of how this could be better can be helpful, but there's a limit to it. I found this out as a teacher, but let me tell you about how a yoga teacher explained it to me. I was watching these yoga teachers that would teach six, seven yoga sessions a day, and I was thinking all day long, you're going through the moves with the students and you're getting your exercise at work. And I mentioned it to one of them that you do yoga all day long. And this teacher said, I do not do yoga all day long. I teach students and it is their practice. It is not my practice. And they are two completely different things. And I started to see, yeah, just because you're going through the moves does not mean that you're getting the benefit if they were your moves for you to pay attention to. Instead, your focus is on the students. And I find that with critique versus actually doing the work, they are two different muscles. Absolutely, yeah. One is extroverted, one is my own project, this one's about these people, and you can get so good at one, you can get so good at your craft in your studio alone that when you're asked about it, you hem and haw and have no words to put yeah. on it, and then you can be so articulate with it, but yet not able to do it but they are also connected. Yes, they are. They're there's, separate, there's overlap. But they are totally right. connected because uh, one can really, really help to improve the other. But they, they help each other grow. Yeah. There's another thing about critique that's really important is that if you are in a community of people and everything anybody does, they compliment it. Uh, it's no, there's not going to be any growth in that. And I had another group of students who they'd rip each other's work apart and it did a lot of damage between uh, among them. One of them it made so self-conscious that even to this day, this was 15, almost 20 years ago, and to this day it still suffers from the fear of what can happen if my, my peers all descend on me like vultures. Uh, there is a sharing of language, a learning that this person has this bent and I might be able to help them lean the other way or run more with that 
there's something that's very valuable, I think, in having peers that are aware of how you do things or don't do things. And that way, the discussion becomes efficient. We found this out with my peers from the junior college I went to when we shared studio space, is that we learned some terms from one of our teachers. One of them was dominant sequence. Dominant sequence is don't treat everything the same. Let one thing become more important and let there be a kind of crescendo to it. And so we'd look at each other's work and say, could you use more dominant sequence? And we immediately knew what that was talking about. Little counterpoints. Another teacher said, it's nice to have a little triangle in the orchestra. You know, you got this big orchestra, you got this little ding. And so we'd look at each other's work. So, ooh, I like the way you use that little triangle in the orchestra. <laughs> and those shorthands yeah. make us aware that someone's going to look at this and I'll see if I can cover it for, uh, cover for it even before I show it to them. Nice. Yeah. Yay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How are we doing? Good. I think I'm ready for your thing. Okay, well, let's see. You want to go first? Do you know what I you're going to do for yours? I do. It's another pencil. I'm surprised. <laughs> no. What I, kind of pencil is that? I'm so surprised that I've never tried these before. Uh-huh. This is a 5.6 millimeter graphite pencil. Mm -hmm. This is the very first time I'm trying it. Yeah. Tell me what you think of it. I love it. It's so close to the charcoal pencil, which is the exact same thickness. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, I think it's a little, this is actually a little bit thicker, but but it doesn't matter. You can, I can get this to that bullet shape yeah. that I get my charcoal pencils in. I sharpen it the same way. I expose an inch. Yeah. I'll hold it like this and I draw in the same way. And I mean, usually I had this very different approach to graphite and charcoal. I would be very tonal with my charcoal. Mm-hmm use the side, get that thin to thick line, you know, very dynamic line quality. And then with graphite, I would be very linear. I would just use the tip all the time. Because mm -hmm. that's kind of what it wants you to do. But right? you were using a wooden pencil that comes to a point, not a, a mechanical graphite pencil? Both, I use both. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's so thin, you usually kind of just use the point. And it, you yeah. know, people, you can't sharpen a normal graphite pencil to be an inch long. It'll right. break instantly. Right. This thing is strong. You can mm -hmm. put it on the side and you can you can shade, you can get that thin to thick line. Yes. Instead of holding that pencil like this, I'm now holding my graphite pencils overhand. Yeah. Great. I love it. It it connects the two together yeah. for me. The only complaint, this one is too heavy. It's made out of metal. Uh -huh. And after like 10 minutes, I started to feel that I was straining my wrist. Okay. And you gotta be careful with that. Yeah. You need to be totally relaxed. That's okay. how you start, you know, getting injuries. So I'm gonna try to see if I can get like a plastic one or something. The ones I have, I have a few of them, so I've got them in different grades of yeah. 4B and, and 2B and all that. Yeah, these come in boxes. Yeah. I, I got from HB all the way to 8B. Yeah. Well, all mine are all metal also. Well, the, the inner, the, the part, the insides come out and they're, they're refillable. Right. But the holder is but metal. But your holder so is all metal? They're all heavy? Yeah, yeah but I didn't mind that because the reason I used them in the first place was to do gesture drawing where since graphite is slick, it will slide on the page. And so I like that because like, I'm just going to ski around on this page with these lines. Mm. But I never used them to do anything that was worth looking at. It was always just exercises to get past the careful little lines, make okay. them slide all around. You could be very precise with this, just like I you know. can with a charcoal pencil. Yeah. If you sharpen it like a bullet where the tip is really sharp, you can do both. Yep. So, 
It's not okay. just it's not just for sloppy drawings. Yeah, that's why I used it. Oh. <laughs> I love it. What's your thing? Okay. I don't have the book here with me, but it's called Writing the Natural Way by Gabriel Lucer Rico. And I have not read it in 20 years, but I read it in the 90s so carefully that I got everything out of it. I could get out of it. It had a tremendous influence on me. Uh, I was thinking of writing a creativity book, and I thought I could never come up with one that's more practical than what she put in that book. She uses a technique called clustering. This is now writing. Does She mainly emphasizes poetry writing. But this relates to curriculum writing, story writing, any kind of creative generation. You got ideas in your head. You're going to get them out. And you're going to get them into form. And the attitude that she has in taking the person who is creative and saying, let me give you the tools of clustering. And these will, you will use these for the rest of your life. They are that good. But let me give a, a very short summation of what you do. You throw out words, ideas, you put little balloons around them, and then you see how they interconnect. So it's like a flat graphic design of the chaos that goes on in the mind. And then in revising this, you seek two things. One is similarities. This one groups with this one. And then the other is contrast or opposites of opposites. This is the opposite of this one. And with this technique, you are able to take all of that brainstorming chaos, that divergent thinking, get it out there, and then rearrange it so it starts to converge into elegant patterns. And are you talking about flowcharts? No, no, no. Uh, flowcharts are related to it, but the How way she she talks about them as webs. That you're putting words down and then seeing how they relate. And here's one of the most interesting things about it. I don't know whether this has been studied scientifically, but I believe in it. That when you start to turn this into something worthwhile, it starts to look nice. You start to have little clusters over here and little clusters over here. And they kind of balance each other out. And then you've got some dominant core, a nucleus that they're related to. And as you continue to revise through clustering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would go so far as to say this, and so I'm choosing this as my thing. The reason why I'm choosing it is because we've talked with Ty about divergent and convergent thinking, and I criticized drawing on the right side of the brain as being imbalanced at best. I think that Gabriel Rico in this book put together one of the best practical techniques for honoring the great diversity of the creative process which is to start with chaos, find patterns in it, arrange those patterns so that they relate graphically uh, with these balloons, and then you can get some really great. I I started using it in the 90s, and when I did, I know that my teaching got better. Because when I prepare lectures, I would start that way, and it started to get me to think, always. You have a lecture on YouTube, right? Where you plan your career? Is uh, that what it is? Uh, design your career design with a your, whiteboard. Is that what is that technique that you use in that, what you're talking about? That is one of maybe a half dozen metaphors that I present for if you're going to design your career. I mean, but the before, technique you use in that video. One of them is clustering. Oh. Yes. Oh, really? Yes, but the other ones are uh, uh, your career as a map, 
your career as a left to right map, uh, your career as a Petri dish, where you're taking different elements and seeing how they interact. You're, you're looking at if you're going to be a professional artist, you want to get this stuff onto a surface that's in front of your face and see how things interrelate. So it is very related to, that's one of the places that I mention how valuable that book is. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. As cool. one technique for how you can. This video of yours is on YouTube for free? It is on, the first 18 minutes are on YouTube for free. Where's the rest of it? The other part, you have to pay $4 for it. Where is it? It's on martialart.com. Oh, it is? Yes. How long is the whole thing? One hour. Oh, okay. But in, in one hour, it was uh, the best I could do to consolidate down how if you are just out of your training and you say, how do I now make a career happen? Or better yet, before you begin your training, because one of the uses of the whiteboard is to design your training for your career. Here's where I want to go. Here's what I need to get there. And you can look at it and say, I'm going to give from this stepping stone to this stepping stone and so on. So anyway, that's an extended commercial yeah. for my $4 lecture on design your career with a whiteboard. People have told me, people come, come up to me at trade shows and told me how much it meant yeah. right when we came out with it one woman uh and her husband came up to me and glowingly told me this is a game changer for me mm. and it's it's very old practical stuff which is when you're dealing with a problem get it in front of you on paper so you can see how things relate left to right top to bottom and and how one thing is on top of another or separated from it you're looking for similarities and differences wow you're like teaching perspective on your life yeah. <laughs> you are wise. Somebody, somebody told me that uh, at Wise Proco is going to be a new thing. Wise Proco? Yeah, Wise Proco. Didn't you see that in the comments on one of these things recently? That no. Hashtag Wise Proco. Oh, oh well, man. you're in for a treat, Stan. Oh, is this like um, Smart Hulk? It's like I'm best not of both sure. <laughs> What is Smart Hulk? You haven't seen uh, Endgame? No. Oh, yeah, you don't watch new stuff. I'm out You're of only touch. history. You don't like yeah. living people, artists who are alive. I like looking back at history. Yeah. Yeah. You are young. You look forward to the next thing. This is why we make such an amazing... I like also being in the present. ...balanced pair. <laughs> <laughs> so. Smart Hulk is where he figures out how to be Hulk and also be smart and totally in control of himself. So it's like, it's again, it's that balance thing. Yeah, it's, yeah. But it's hilarious. Honest. I thought it was so funny. Okay. It's like well, one of my favorite parts of the movie is just like his character because he's... It's a movie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Whatever. See you guys later. Leave five stars yeah, all right. on iTunes and... Uh, Tell all your friends about our podcast. Yeah. Comment what you think Marshall is missing about the right side of the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would oh, like, you like that. that. I would like that. You are the one who told me you should read the comments because this yeah. is our audience. So yeah. I do read them, but uh, there's a lot of them. I read the first sentence and I jump right over it. But then there's some of them. I read them and I copy and paste them because some people give us thoughtful comments. Yeah. And the agenda is not to show how smart I am. It's to contribute to this community. And so that's why I like those in there and I keep their names on them. So I'm going to quote them in a classroom. I'm going to quote them by name. So I would like to know what is it that I'm missing 
from drawing on the right side of the brain. I went on and on about my opinion. I'd like to know what is it that would help uh, others and help me give us the balance this podcast out. Yeah. Or why you agree with Marshall. No, you don't need to do that. Yeah. Oh, well, whatever. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Bye. Five stars. See ya. Bye.